go ahead and start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this evening. Um, thank you as we enter into uh, the fall season, uh, have opportunity to gather together to open and study your word. I pray that your spirit would be with us, uh, that you'd teach and instruct us, that we wouldn't just be instructed by uh, men, but that we'd be uh, taught by you uh, by the power of your spirit uh, and through the salvation that's in your son and so pray all of our words and deeds would be uh, glorifying and uh, honoring to you and we ask these things in the name of your son amen Amen. so we're back in genesis and we've spent uh, quite a bit of time uh, in chapter one again started, but tonight uh, we'll be doing some uh, some review. So we'll maybe cover cover a fair bit, and then, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up uh, where we left off. Uh, we work most of the way through uh, day two, and we'll review some of that, uh, and then we'll uh, continue from from there. So if you're not in Genesis, go ahead and open up. And my so wife's, my wife's joke was, "Where's that? <laughs> Where is that?" Genesis. It's, it's right. It's right after the uh, the index, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, some some preachers say, you know, I, I believe uh, I believe the entire Bible uh, from Genesis to maps. You know, it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little, little too far. I started. Stop at Revelation. Content. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as we pick back up in uh, Genesis, uh, as uh, we've spoken about for those who've been here, uh, Genesis primarily, uh, the genre is its narrative. It's a historical narrative, a historical story uh, that speaks of uh, events, God's work uh, in uh, history, uh, all the way from creation uh, to well, uh, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph, uh, the 12 sons, 12 tribes uh, in Egypt waiting for the Exodus. And so it covers this uh, huge span of time. If you just go through the genealogies, it's at least like 2,400 uh, years that, uh, that it covers. Uh, whereas Exodus only covers, well, as far as Moses' life goes, 120 years uh, it touches on some things before that. Uh, most of it is the last 40 years of his life. And so uh, Genesis, this big sweeping history uh, to really set the, the context and the foundation for the rest of uh, Scripture. Uh, and in narrative, uh, if you think of just in, in your own life, maybe if you're telling a family member about your day or something that happened, or we have evangelists, they'll go out uh, sometimes on Thursday or Saturday, uh, if they're going to recount those events, those situations, uh, they're recounting events that take place in space and time. They're, they're located. Uh, they involve people, uh, participants uh, who are involved in that story, in that narrative, uh, interacting. Uh, and so Genesis, uh, we see very much the same, where here we start at the beginning of creation, 
And you just look at the, the first uh, words in the beginning. And so that anchors it uh, in a context in space and time. And here the focus is on time. Uh, this is the beginning of uh, creation, uh, the beginning of the heavens and the earth uh, as, we, uh, as we know them. Uh, God creating them for uh, all of his creatures to dwell in uh, and for man to have dominion over uh, all of the, the beasts. Uh, and so, starting in the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. Uh, now God is introduced, uh, the, the creation uh, at large. Uh, hi. hi. We're just getting started, so you're, okay. you're right on time. Great, What's your name? My name is Linda. Linda. Uh, Adam. Yep. Uh, nice to meet you. And so, uh, in the beginning, uh, here's, here's the time frame to set the context for the events that follow. Uh, at the very beginning of uh, creation, uh, this is where uh, scripture starts, which is, I mean, it's critical and central to any worldview if you think about asking questions like, uh, where did everything come from? You know, is there a God? Uh, yes, God exists, not just a God, uh, but God. Uh, the one true living creator God. Uh, where, where did we come from? Uh, this is answering and setting up all of those uh, questions uh, for the, uh, the Israelites uh, in the wilderness and those who are gonna go into the land, uh, but for all of us uh, today as well. And so, uh, in the beginning, God created uh, the heavens uh, and the earth. Uh, and we'll, maybe we've already went into detail into this, so we're not going to cover that again. We may touch on some things uh, when we look at some of the connections with the, the tabernacle, the temple, and creation. Uh, we're going to see some intimate connections between those. Uh, but likely when it speaks of God created the heavens and the earth, uh, that's a refrain throughout scripture. Uh, Yahweh, he's, he's the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who possesses the heavens and the earth. Uh, in six days, God created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that are in them. And on the seventh day, he rested. Uh, and that's the Sabbath commandment, uh, the fourth commandment, which was to set the pattern for the Israelites to remember that uh, he was the creator, that he created all these things. Uh, and just as he set apart the seventh day, uh, he also sanctifies them as his holy, uh, his holy people. Uh, and so, likely this is referring broadly uh, to the whole creation week, but then the rest of it then goes into the details uh, of the six days and the, the unfolding of the creation uh, with God bringing it uh, to its uh, completion. And so let's just go ahead and read through uh, and what I want you to notice as we go through uh, first verses one and two. So we, we have the context in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. God has introduced uh, the heavens and the earth, the creation, uh, the whole theme that this chapter is going to uh, unpack in detail. God's creating of all these things. And then in verse two, uh, we see a lot of times the narrative there's a problem introduced, or here, not so much a problem, but something that's unresolved. Uh, the earth was without form and void, 
or barren and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so the, the central question and narrative that drives it forward, drives events forward, is basically what happened? Uh, what happened? Uh, as we go from event to event, uh, that moves it, uh, moves it forward throughout the days, throughout God's creative acts. But here we don't learn what happened. The earth was barren and empty. It was just the state of things. Uh, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so here we have the earth in its incomplete, unfinished state. But as we continue to read uh, through the rest of the days of creation, God's going to bring this barren, empty earth. Uh, he's going to make it into fruitful habitations over the first three days. Uh, and so at the end of the third day, uh, well, first day, he's going to bring light into the darkness. On the second day, he's going to separate the waters that are over the earth. Uh, so there are the waters below and the waters above, uh, which he names heavens, heavens above. Uh, and then on day three, he'll separate, uh, bring forth the dry land and bring the, the waters together into seas. And at the end of the third day, uh, he'll call the vegetation uh, to come forth. Uh, fruit-bearing plants and trees. And so it's no longer going to be uh, this barren, uh, empty earth, uh, kind of like a, a wilderness or, or a desert uh, that life cannot uh, survive in, God's creatures cannot live on, but he's going to create fruitful habitations. Uh, and then on days four through six, so you have the first three days, uh, then on days four through six, he's going to be, begin to fill uh, this empty creation. On day four with the luminaries, uh, the sun, moon, and stars. On day five with the fish and the birds in the waters below, uh, and, uh, the sky, flying in the skies above. And then on day six, uh, he's going to make uh, the land animals. And finally, uh, humanity, the very pinnacle of his creation, uh, whom he will put over, uh, over uh, the, all of the beasts, the land animals, uh, over uh, the birds and the fish, uh, giving them a dominion uh, so that his creation would be uh, a blessed, fruitful habitation with man ruling over it on God's uh, behalf. As God's, uh, not as his co-regent, but kind of a, a vice-regent. Uh, that he places uh, over uh, the creation on his behalf, his steward. And so let's go ahead and read uh, through uh, days one through three, just so uh, for those who weren't here, you, you can just see some of this as the, uh, the barren, uh, empty earth. Uh, God, God's going to bring it into uh, fruitful habitations uh, in the darkness, he's going to bring, in place of darkness, he'll bring forth the, the light. Uh, and uh, we also see his spirit uh, at work. And so he's going to resolve this incomplete state of the, of the earth. So let's go ahead and begin in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, or barren and empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there is evening and there is morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And then with the three days that follow, days four through six, uh, he's going to then begin filling all of these, uh, all of these environments. And so just for an example of that, look at verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And so now the luminaries are in the heavens above of the expanse, uh, and they're also related to day one, uh, with giving light upon the earth and separating the day from the night and the light from the darkness. Uh, and then on day five, uh, the fish and the birds and the waters, uh, the birds uh, flying in the heavens above. And then uh, man and beast on day six. Uh, and then uh, to the creatures, uh, at the very end, he gives uh, the vegetation for food, uh, which we see at the end of day uh, day three. And so... Uh, these first three days are setting it up uh, so that they can be filled with God's, uh, well, the luminaries, but then his creatures uh, whom he blesses. And he doesn't, he doesn't bless uh, the sun and the moon or the greater light and the lesser light. He doesn't bless the stars, uh, but he blesses, you see, with the fish and the birds, uh, and then with uh, humanity, uh, he blesses uh, his uh, creatures to be fruitful, multiply, fill, uh, fill the earth. Uh, if you read uh, Egyptian myths and Sumerian myths and some of that, uh, we'll touch on some of those things, maybe, Lord willing, uh, next week. Uh, just to contrast a little bit uh, some of the background that Moses and the Israelites would have been uh, well aware of. Uh, you don't see man as the pinnacle of, of God's creation. And in fact, you see that the creation itself, uh, for instance, in uh, Egyptian myths, uh, you'll have Atum, who's kind of born uh, out of, kind of almost gives birth to himself, generates himself, 
but also from the deified goddess waters. Uh, and he emerges from the water. And sometimes there'll be the first primordial hill, uh, the first hill. Uh, and then uh, he'll evolve into the sun, uh, in the, the atmosphere, the sky, uh, in the sun. Uh, and then the sun god is his highest evolution. And so the actual quote-unquote creation there is no creator-creature uh, distinction or creator-creation distinction, uh, but uh, the creation uh, is, is deified. It's, uh, it's personified. Uh, and so it's, it's all one. Uh, you, you have uh, oneism, uh, as it's sometimes called. Uh, Peter Jones uh, talks about that difference between oneism and twoism. In the Bible, we see twoism. Uh, God is the one true living creator God, he depends upon nothing for his existence. Uh, everything else depends upon him and is created. And so that's, uh, there are two different things. There's the creator who's eternal and the creation uh, that had a beginning. Uh, but uh, in all the ancient myths, uh, whether uh, it's called, and sometimes it's hard to even draw, draw a line, whether it's uh, pantheism, God is all, or panentheism, God is in all, uh, everything is ultimately uh, one. And you even see that like with uh, atheism, they deny the creator. And so uh, the creation has to be, it's a closed system, has to be explained by itself. It came from itself. And so uh, the, the myth today is once there was a infinitesimally small singularity from which everything came. And that's basically God. That's, uh, that's the, the creator. You, uh, the, the creation, uh, the uh, impersonal, irrational, uh, amoral uh, creation, that's, that's everything. That's where it all comes from. And so here in verse 1, uh, we see quite the contrast. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God has no explanation. The heavens and the earth do. You got it right now. I mean, other, he is. He explains himself. Tourism from the get-go. Yeah. Yep. Right. Right from the start. Uh, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so the spirit uh, is is present, is active. And notice, he doesn't emerge from the waters. He's hovering over the face of the waters. He's distinct from the, the waters. Well, the creation is not part of God. And then uh, we'll be going into, we'll just touch on some things with day one, and then we'll uh, review uh, day two. And then, you know, if some of this is a little fast, just be patient. We'll, we'll slow down <laughs> uh, uh, next, next week. Um, uh, we'll really uh, dig in. So now with day one, where there was only darkness... Now God uh, calls for light. And every, every day now or that brings resolution uh, to this incompleted uh, earth begins with, and God said. It begins with God speaking, uh, God's word of command, uh, his decree uh, to uh, create uh, and bring things forth. Uh, and uh, the creation, when God commands, let there be light. And there was light. 
and it came to pass. And so all of creation uh, listens to the voice of its creator. Uh, God speaks, God commands, uh, it comes to pass, and he brings it about. So you have a command, you have a report, and there was light. Uh, we'll see that uh, same refrain, and it was so, and it was so. Uh, and there was light. We see God's evaluation right away. And God saw that the light was good. Uh, everything that God creates uh, is good. Uh, usually, uh, usually uh, this refrain, and there was light, and it was so, usually comes right after the, the commandment. Uh, and the evaluation, and God saw that the light was good, usually comes at the end of God's creating. And so you'll command, it was so, you might have naming and other things, uh, but in, and God did it, God brought it about, you have the act of creation, usually comes at the end, after the act of creation, uh, but here on the first day, it comes right at the beginning, uh, so right, right out from the get-go, right out of the gate, uh, you know uh, that what God creates, uh, what God commands, comes to pass. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and everything that God makes is good. Uh, and then just look at the last day, day six. It was so usually comes after the command, but the end of day six, God gives the vegetation. Uh, look, just at the end of verse 30, uh, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. A bringing conclusion now to the creation. It's, it's mirrored. At first it comes at the beginning. Now it comes at the end. Uh, what, uh, what God commanded, what uh, God uh, brought about, uh, what God even giving the vegetation, it all uh, came to pass. That's the seventh uh, and final a report, and it was so, a reporting of what happened with God's uh, commandments uh, and God's work of creation. Uh, and then we have the final seventh evaluation in verse 31. Uh, and usually it's, and God saw that was good, and God saw that was good, and God saw that was good. Uh, but now finally, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there is evening, and there is morning, the sixth day. And that repetition of seven, which we'll see with the seventh day, we'll see that more as we get to the end of the creation account uh, in the, the weeks ahead, uh, that seven is thematic for completion, for, for fullness, uh, because well, you have the six days, God brings it to completion and to its fullness, and then the seventh day commemorates uh, God's com uh, completion, uh, his finishing, of his work in the, the previous uh, six uh, days. And so uh, sometimes that repetition of seven is thematic, but it's right there on the surface of the text. And God saw everything uh, that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything, all of it, uh, the, the totality. Uh, and so this idea of fullness and completion, uh, bringing it uh, about. And Jim, did, did you? I just wanted, um, on the first day, Yeah. do you have a image or analogy for the mingling of darkness and light before the separation? Yeah, that, that is uh, pretty, pretty interesting. 
I think a lot of it, I think it's bound up with, it might be also part of just the act of creation itself, but you do see that distinction and that separation on each of them. I think it shows God uh, organizing, putting everything uh, in its place uh, in distinguishing uh, them. Uh, it's God who determines, well, I mean, bringing things into creation, but then he determines uh, everything, its place, uh, its function uh, that it serves in the creation. And so we'll see that with the separation of the waters below and the waters above. He names the waters above heaven. Uh, and so distinguishing them and making uh, this whole space, I mean, look at the sky above. That's the perspective that it's written from. Uh, it's written from kind of boots on the ground and you can see the heavens above, the, the very sky that God uh, created. And so not just these waters on the ground, but uh, he's uh, bringing order uh, to uh, to the creation. But you go and, and, and you have distinctions. Barrenness and emptiness. Yeah, yeah. Heaven and earth, they're still kind of a mess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's as if he created light kind of everywhere mm -hmm. and maybe in particles mm -hmm. in, in a way. And now he's got to start organizing the whole mess. Yeah, and, and part of it, I think, I think that I don't know, like it's creating like big stages or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, because like we'll see with, uh, as we go to the waters, uh, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let separate the waters from the waters. Part of the purpose of, of bringing this uh, expanse is to separate them. Right. Uh, and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. It's kind of like back to back uh, that right. uh, these, these acts are, are going going on but you see like these distinctions and the biblical authors will even use this it's maybe not all here right now this is the physical creation but they'll use uh, metaphors for di distinguishing light from darkness sure. and woe to those uh, who uh, place uh, darkness for light and light for darkness uh, who call uh, good evil and evil good uh, Isaiah says uh, and uh, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, there are distinctions between this. And there he's talking about uh, morality, justice, what uh, right and wrong, uh, uh, truth, uh, what's true and what's false, uh, distinguishing uh, between them. Uh, it's God who, uh, who establishes these things and it's humanity in our rebellion who want to uh, erase uh, the distinctions. And you see that, I mean, just even with man and woman. Uh, we, uh, where you see that all the way back, I mean, even beyond, like Sodom and Gomorrah, where God's purpose in marriage is being corrupted uh, and such like that. Lamech will take two wives. Well, at the beginning, God made them male and female, uh, and the, the two became one. Uh, but right away, with man's rebellion, you see the corruption of, of marriage. Uh, and so... Uh, humans always want to, we, we want to establish our own boundaries. Uh, we want to be uh, God. Uh, we want to determine what's true, what's good, what's beautiful, what's just uh, in place of God. Uh, and uh, D.A. Kirsten has called that the, the de-godding of God. You know, we, uh, we want to make ourselves God in our, in our rebellion. Make our own utopia. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what God made here was a utopia. Yeah, and it wasn't the Garden of Eden. The creation itself was 
complete as far as the heavens and the earth and all that humanity needed, uh, God's provision for them. But humanity was still to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and to have dominion over it. But instead, uh, the, uh, uh, the man and the woman, they listened to the voice of the creature rather than the creator. And so uh, God said, let there be light. We have a command, a report, and there was light. Uh, what God commanded came to pass. And God's evaluation, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there's evening and there's morning, uh, the first uh, day. And so God's naming, uh, which can be used to identify, to describe, uh, to establish something's function, but it also shows God's authority uh, over day and night that he names it, uh, he he gives it its place. He gives it its function. Uh, and we'll see that uh, a number of times with God's, uh, God's naming. Uh, and it's not children who name their parents, but parents who name their children. And so uh, a lot of times it's bound up with authority. Although sometimes uh, you'll have, for instance, Hagar uh, calls God, uh, you're the God who sees uh, because you've seen me. She's not exercising authority over God, but she's recognizing uh, God's uh, provision for her that even though she was in the uh, desert, in this wilderness place and had run away from Hagar, uh, he promised to bless uh, her, uh, her offspring, uh, who would be uh, Ishmael. And so God, uh, God sees her and he saw her, her plight. Uh, and then uh, lastly, notice that we go from Darkness to light. And God separated uh, the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and darkness he called night. Uh, and there is evening, and there is morning, the first day. Uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, Israelites uh, would reckon a day as beginning with darkness and then going to light, uh, beginning with night and then going to day, uh, with evening and then morning. Uh, because as the day as darkness comes, and creation started with darkness and then went to light, uh, and it's only then that you can have evening and morning, that you can have this cycle of night and day, uh, darkness and light, evening and morning. Uh, you can't have day two until you have day one, and so you, you need the, the light. Uh, but, for instance, when they kept the Passover, if you read in the Exodus, uh, that uh, the the new day was reckoned uh, with the coming of the, the night. And so this establishes that uh, cycle. And if you think when darkness comes, you know, we, we kind of put maybe somewhat arbitrarily uh, tw 24 hours, midnight. Uh, all right, there's the new day. And it doesn't matter kind of where the darkness or the light uh, exactly falls uh, throughout the year. Uh, midnight, that's, that's when we transition uh, into the end of the day, new day. But when darkness comes, sometimes we even think about uh, the day ends. Oh, the day's over. The day's, you know, it's ending too quickly. And so you see that pattern established right here uh, and then with the Passover. And if you read about uh, Jesus, uh, when he has the, uh, they have the, the Passover and then with his 
crucifixion, they want to take the, uh, his body down uh, because, and not leave it out, which would be a violation of the Torah, uh, leaving someone uh, hanging uh, in, a, in a tree. Uh, they, they want uh, the body to be brought down, uh, and they had to hurry because uh, the day was coming to a close, the Sabbath was beginning. And so the, the women, they see the tomb, but before, before night comes, uh, it's Sabbath, it's the time of rest, and so they go, uh, they go home. And so the Sabbath, even today, uh, for, uh, for Jews, uh, when the night uh, comes, uh, which would be uh, with the end of our Friday, when night comes, that's the beginning of the Sabbath. And then uh, Saturday, last day of the week, uh, when uh, the daytime ends and night comes, Sabbath is over. And so now they can go about uh, lighting a fire and cooking and going about their, their business again. Uh, and uh, we've also talked about just how the, the light, you see God calling forth light, but no no sun, moon, and stars, <laughs> which raises questions, and I think it's meant to raise questions. Wh what is going on there? But God is not dependent on the sun, moon, and stars uh, to bring forth light. Uh, and as we read in Isaiah, uh, a day will come uh, when uh, there will be no more sun, there will be no more moon, uh, for God uh, will be the light, uh, his, his glory. Uh, he, he'll give forth light for his people. And if you read at the end of Revelation, uh, you'll see that God will be the light uh, and the, the lamb will be the lamp. Uh, there'll be no more uh, sun and moon, no more seas in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, and so, uh, again, you see that God isn't dependent on the sun, moon, and stars which people worshipped and often the sun was regarded as, uh, as the very pinnacle of the evolution of uh, of their their gods and their uh, their deities, uh, but not uh, not here. Uh, they're just created uh, created things. Uh, and we'll also look at it when we get more into the tabernacle. If you read to the end of Exodus, uh, God's presence uh, He'll manifest His presence in the tabernacle, and that's often associated with radiant light, as Moses goes before Him. Uh, and it kind of bookends the beginning of Genesis and the end of Exodus of God's presence. Uh, you see his spirit. Uh, he'll be dwelling in the midst of his people in the, the tabernacle. So now going into uh, day two. Uh, now we can have evening and morning. Uh, night and day, evening and morning. Uh, the first uh, day. And so now... Uh, where there was darkness, God has brought forth light. Uh, and here where uh, there was only uh, the, the waters covering the face of the earth and the Spirit of God hovering over the, uh, over the face of the waters. Uh, you see the, the face of the deep was over. Uh, verse 2, the earth was without uh, form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here this is the beginning of creation. And so creation's just incomplete and God's going to bring it to completion. But when humanity rebels in the day of Noah, God once again is going to cover the earth and waters and destroy every living creature. And then you'll see this kind of idea of new creation as the waters recede 
Uh, and you'll draw on these ideas back from the creation account, kind of new creation. Uh, now Noah and the seven who are with him, and his sons and their wives are to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth all over again and all of the, uh, the animals. Uh, and so here uh, we see that God uh, deals with the, uh, the, the waters, with this lifeless, uninhabitable uh, earth. Uh, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there is evening and there is morning of the second day. And now here, again, I want to take the command uh, and the action, the report uh, all together. And also uh, note that we don't have an evaluation. It doesn't say God saw that was good. You know, sometimes people fret over that a little bit and say, well, was it not good? Well, when we get to the end, we'll see that everything was good when God brings it to completion. But part of it, part of the issue here uh, is that the seventh evaluation needs to fall uh, at the end of day, uh, day six. And so uh, with the different parts as it's unfolding, uh, in fact, uh, day three, uh, we didn't mention, but day three and day six have two acts of creation. And so twice on day three, uh, it'll say, and God saw that it was good. Uh, and so part of it uh, is that there needs to be a seventh one that falls at the end of, uh, of day six. And so uh, it would throw things off if uh, he had an evaluation for every act of creation. But also the same thing happens with, and it was so. Uh, that on day five, see if the water is below, the water is above, and the fish will be in the waters below, the seas, uh, and the birds flying in the he heavens above. On day five, uh, day five has an evaluation that was good, but doesn't have a report, and it was so. That does not mean it did not come to pass. <laughs> <laughs> but part, part of the reason... He still has to select Moses when, uh, when the, uh, where the evaluation is missing. And so here, it's still, it's still incomplete. Uh, the waters are going to be, uh, the dry land hasn't been brought forth yet. Uh, and the in the middle of a chart. Yeah, yeah. The sun went down. And well, so the day's too short. <laughs> just look at uh, ver verse 20, day 5. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Evaluation. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there is evening and there is morning, the fifth day. <clears throat> There's no end it was so, but came to pass. And uh, ultimately, when you get to the end, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good uh, at the end of all, uh, all things. 
And so part of it's just balancing out the uh, the narrative uh, so that the themes come come at the right uh, the right place. And so now uh, dealing with this expanse, sometimes there's a bit of uh, confusion over it. Uh, and skeptics do some uh, pretty amazing things. So I want to look at what is this expanse uh, and where is this, uh, this expanse? Actually, go ahead and We'll stay here for, for uh, a moment. Uh, we're, we'll glance at Job briefly in, in a little bit. And so, first off, uh, as we look at this, uh, some uh, will uh, treat this uh, because of uh, dealing with uh, some of the etymology. They'll, they'll commit an etymological fallacy. Etymology has to do with the uh, the origin of meaning, the history of meaning, uh, and meanings with words change over time, and words have a range of meaning, uh, depending on how they're used and in their context. And so, uh, Jim and I were talking a little bit about, uh, you have uh, uh, dynamis uh, in the, the New Testament, which means power. Uh, the gospel is the power of God for salvation uh, to, all believe, to all who believe, uh, to the uh, Jew first, but also to the, the Greek or Gentile. Well, that's where we get our word dynamite. And so sometimes people will say uh, that it's, maybe if they mean well, they'll use a kind of like an illustration and say, the gospel is the dynamite of God. Yeah, like kid dynamite. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the 70s, Jimmy Walker. Uh, TNT dynamite uh, oh, was, yeah, wasn't around when Paul was. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's interesting, those connections. And Bob, I was talking with Bob, sometimes he'll make those connections, but he says, He's doing it just to grab people's interest a little bit. He's not reading all that back into, into what it meant back in uh, the, like the first century in biblical times. Uh, and so it's just to grab a little interest with people are familiar with uh, to make connections to the words. But as D.A. Carson has said, when Paul is talking about power in the gospel, of uh, being the power of God uh, to salvation, if you read in the first chapter of Romans, God's power is demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ. A dynamite TNT never raised anyone from the dead. You know, that, uh, compared uh, to the resurrection, uh, it is a weak and impotent uh, and, you know, nothing uh, compared to uh, the resurrection of, of Christ, uh, which is just a foretaste uh, of the things to come, uh, the hope of a resurrection of all those who, uh, who have believed. And so we could read it back in and some then do that with etymology and other meanings reading in where uh, the term, let's see if I have, first we'll, we'll look at what it means and then we'll touch it on what it doesn't mean. <laughs> and so just look as we read through. And so uh, verse... Six And God said, uh, let there uh, be an expanse, or the uh, rakia, uh, let there be uh, rakia in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the rakia, 
and separated uh, the waters that were under the Rakia from the waters that were above uh, the Rakia. And it was so. And God called the Rakia heavens. And there was evening and there was morning uh, the second day. Uh, heavens kind of captures the, the plural uh, as it's used, uh, or it's the, it's the sky, uh, the same one that we see, uh, see above. Uh, and as we then uh, read and go, let's see, go back to the fifth day, or forward, uh, the verse uh, 20. Uh, but he heavens is pretty uh, definitional. He, he names it. And so uh, that gives you a clear indication. And God said, uh, let the waters swarm. Well, actually, no, go back to verse 14, uh, day four. And God said, let there be lights uh, in the rakia of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be lights in the uh, rakia of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two greater lights, uh, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the rakia of the heavens to give light on the earth uh, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate uh, the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning, fourth day. And so the luminaries are placed uh, in this space, uh, in, the, in the heavens. Uh, and then on day five, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth uh, across or on uh, the uh, along uh, the rakia of the uh, heavens. And so here you see that uh, the birds, uh, they, they fly in the heavens. Uh, and part of this whole expanse from the waters below, uh, which will become the seas, the oceans, and the waters above, uh, the skies, the atmosphere above, all of that is this expanse. Uh, but there can be a focus on different parts of it. And so the luminaries are placed in it. We see them in the heavens, the sky above. But then the birds speaks about them flying, we wouldn't say quite in English, but kind of on, on the face, it's the backdrop uh, that they uh, fly uh, against along uh, the, the heavens, the, uh, the sky above. And so uh, at its lower limit and upper limit, it's, it's the whole sky and this whole space uh, between uh, the earth, the seas, uh, and uh, the heavens above. Uh, but then uh, we'll see, uh, kind of like we touched on with the stars, but we'll see more where there are different regions of the heavens. Paul even talks about the third heavens. And so you have space where the birds fly and such. But then you have the luminaries uh, in, in the waters uh, above uh, from which the rain comes down. So uh, which is, would be the, the second heavens. I'd understand the third heavens to transcend uh, the creation as we know it, the visible creation. Uh, and that's where uh, God dwells. Uh, manifest his presence that deals with uh, with invisible uh, things on God's heavenly uh, throne room uh, that uh, is is beyond uh, our experience and so some some skeptics will even 
you know, we sent a space shuttle up into space and, oh, where's God? Well, you're only in the second heavens. You, you, haven't, <laughs> you haven't gone far enough. <laughs> um, well, what, what were you saying? Well, I guess I never realized, I guess I always thought the lights in the firmament of heaven were the stars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's, they're not the stars. Well, because he, then he says he made the stars also. So what are the lights in the firmament? Oh, yeah, good question. So let's just go back to God's commandment, verse 14. And God said, so first he's commanding before he creates. Uh, Let there be lights, or luminaries. Uh, The word isn't light per se, but it's light-bearing objects. Candles. Yeah, (laughs) that give give forth a light. And so it's objects that give give forth light. A lot of times we'll just call them lights, turn on the lights. Uh, But... And some of the language is even found, uh, as we'll see the connections with the tabernacle, some of the language is connected with the tabernacle. And so corresponding to day four, you have the lampstand, which is placed in the south of the tabernacle. Uh, And part of that may be bound up with, uh, you have the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, moon goes in the opposite direction. But even for Israel, they're far enough in the northern hemisphere that the sun and the moon are oriented to the south. Uh, so we, we'll talk more about that a little bit. Uh, but the tabernacle is a picture of heavenly realities, and you have a lot of this creation imagery that's pulled into it. And so uh, they're light-bearing objects, luminaries. Uh, let there be luminaries in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light, or luminaries in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Now we have the act of creation. And God made the two great lights, uh, the greater light uh, to rule the day, uh, or uh, even their luminaries, uh, the greater light to rule uh, the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. Uh, in the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. So he places them right where he called forth these luminaries. And so uh, the sun, moon, and stars, or the greater light, the lesser light, and the stars are the luminaries that God called forth. And now he creates them uh, according to his command. uh, And he places them uh, in the heavens. Verse 17, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens Now to fill all these purposes, to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There's evening and there's morning the fourth day. Another clue is we saw that they were uh, to separate day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Uh, And it's it's the sun and the moon and the stars that are used for, you know, the cycle of day, uh, they, they signal the day as the sun uh, well, sets and rises, a lot of times in Israel, uh, Israeli reckoning. Uh, and uh, the years, uh, and we'll talk about some of the signs and seasons, uh, but that's also dealing with indicators of like the months. Uh, they use the lunar calendar, uh, which together would then form a year. Uh, and so... Uh, they are the, uh, the luminaries. Uh, and the stars were also uh, used for some of those things uh, too. 
for tracking the, the seasons. I almost think of it as a woman who says, let there be bread, and then she <laughs> makes the bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, very much. But she, she doesn't make it out of nothing. No, right. <laughs> Ex nihilo. Uh, but she does have to put it maybe on Maybe from plate. scratch. But. <laughs> yeah. um, you get, we, are you coming back to the waters of Bob Dover? Yeah, yep. Okay. Yeah, that's where, that's where we're getting to. Okay. Uh, wanted to touch on that. And we, we'll get to day four, you know, more. Uh, we'll deal with some of those things yeah, okay. in the coming weeks. Yeah, all right, great. And so... Just go to uh, Genesis, let's see, is, uh, with Noah in the flood. Whoops, I just closed my Bible. I forgot what verse is it exactly. I think it's chapter 7, uh, verse 11. Uh, in the chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And so, uh, the fountains of the deep burst forth uh, in the seas below, uh, in the depths, uh, in the windows of heaven uh, were were opened, and you see rain comes down, uh, and that's a metaphor of the top and used. So when it talks about the waters above, uh, it's, it's the atmosphere, it's the sky, it's the heavens uh, from uh, which comes the, uh, the rain, uh, pours, uh, pours down. Uh, and sometimes you'll have like, oh, uh, windows of heaven. Uh, they believe that there were windows in heaven and stuff like that. Well, Okay, so we believe that caves have mouths and bottles have mouths and necks and uh, mountains have feet and tables and chairs and uh, such like that. Uh, that's how language is used if we had to have a distinct word for every single object. Uh, and so we extend it from like human feet and then we talk about t uh, and legs to uh, and animals having legs to tables and chairs having legs and uh, things like that. And so it's a metaphor. That's how we get uh, get new terms and so it's sometimes funny where you get secular skeptical scholars that just don't read well and don't, don't even understand uh, a metaphor for instance uh, and we'll see that uh, go ahead and let's see let's go to Job 37 briefly uh, verse we'll start verse 14 and really we'll look at verse uh, 18 Actually, before that, go to Deuteronomy 32. We'll go there. Since it's more on the way. Okay, it's supposed to be a little earlier. I'm thinking that's the song, but the curses are in chapter 28. 28. And then as we're going through the curses, uh, verse, tw start 22. 
chapter 28, verse 28. Two, uh, the Lord, so this is if they break the covenant. Uh, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight, and with mildew. Uh, they shall pursue you until you perish, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. Yahweh will make the rain of your land powder. Uh, from heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. And so you have this imagery, and part of the claim, so we've talked about what, what the heavens are, uh, this uh, expanse. Uh, they'll draw in language uh, that there's a similar verb form. Uh, they'll be used for like pounding out a sheet of metal uh, or maybe for kind of like a dome or a vaulted uh, ge geometrical shape. Uh, and so you could speak about like the vault of heaven or possibly the dome of heaven. Uh, but And some will argue from like Job and say th that uh, the ancient Israelites believed that it was like a solid bronze dome that you could like knock on uh, because they're taking the, the meaning out of context. But if you look at this, and so it talks about uh, inflammation coming upon them, uh, their enemies come, uh, pursuing them until they perish. Well, actually, no, here it's the blight and the mildew and yeah. uh, all these things. Uh, in verse 23, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make uh, the rain of your land powder from heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now that's a common metaphor for a drought uh, where God withholds the rains and so the land becomes dust uh, the vegetation doesn't uh, grow. And so he's bringing these curses, these judgments upon them uh, and so when Moses uh, writes this, they say, well, the ancients believe, see here, uh, that the, uh, the sky was a solid bronze dome uh, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. Literally, it was literally turned into iron so they could mine it. <laughs> No, it's talking about uh, a drought where you see with the dust coming down upon them uh, in the curses. Uh, and this metaphor is used uh, elsewhere. Uh, the Lord will make the rain of your land powder from heaven. Dust shall come down on you until uh, you are destroyed. And so it's a picture of the, the sun uh, in the hot sky beating down upon them. Uh, and, I mean, it's almost kind of like being in like a metal furnace uh, with the... Uh, the drought and the heat and no rain uh, upon them. It just cooks everything and, and it dies. And so that's a common, uh, that's a common metaphor. And so uh, the heavens that are being spoken about are the same heavens that we view above, the, uh, above us, the vault of heavens uh, that has, uh, the, it has real structure. You know, if it wasn't there, uh, we couldn't, we couldn't survive. Uh, but, uh, that's an etymological fallacy where they'll try and read in other meanings of related terms uh, into the text. Uh, and uh, they'll do the same with uh, Job, for instance, where in Job uh, chapter uh, 37, 
I'll start at verse 14. And we could look at more. Job draws out a lot of creation imagery. And it's also important to remember Job is poetry. Uh, and metaphors and such are used in, also not in poetry, but they're especially heavy in, uh, in poetry. And so verse 14, uh, chapter 37 of Job. Uh, Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Uh, this is uh, Elihu speaking. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds, of the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind? That's where the heat, the heat is coming from, upon him. Can you, like him, spread out the skies, hard as a cast, a metal mirror? Uh, you also have to do with strength. Uh, teach us what we shall say to him. Uh, we cannot draw up our case because of darkness. Shall it be told him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? And so you have all of this creation imagery in the south wind coming, uh, coming in, in the heat uh, of summer, in the heat of the day. Uh, and then can you, like him, spread out the skies above, uh, hard uh, or strong as a uh, cast uh, metal mirror uh, as it beats down uh, upon them. And so you have a lot of the same imagery uh, with the hot, uh, the hot summer uh, and the heat uh, in the southern winds uh, and even elsewhere in Job. Uh, and I think we could look in Leviticus. You have uh, the same idea dealing with drought, dealing with the heat uh, as, as you'd have heat like radiating off of metal. And now the skies above Vault of Heavens has real structure, but uh, as far as uh, the, the imagery of saying you could go like knock on it and it'd be made of bronze and you could mine it, that's going too far. Uh, but it's uh, speaking about what we can observe uh, and uh, see. And so uh, you even have, let's see, uh, Roy B. Zuck in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, uh, he speaks about uh, Elihu uh, calling Job to con contemplate, uh, challenging him about God's wonders, uh, a series of questions. Elihu pointed up Job's ignorance about God's power in nature. Man does not know how God can possibly guide the clouds, cause lightning, or even hang the clouds in the sky. Man is ignorant, uh, and if you think you know, it's like, you know, even, even if uh, you have, like, a scientific model, we'll go ahead and go do it. You know, there, there's kind of a knowledge of uh, the proof is in the pudding, you know. <laughs> uh, you, you make your own, uh, your own sky and atmosphere. If we, if we and <laughs> figured that out, we'd be making our own. Yeah. Stop every drought. Uh, and so uh, man does not uh, know how God can possibly do these things or even hang the clouds in the sky. Man is ignorant, but God is perfect in knowledge. Nor is man capable of doing what God does, such as spreading out a clear blue summer sky, which seems hard like a, a mirror of bronze, uh, causing people to perspire in the still, hot uh, weather. In fact, uh, there's even uh, the IVP Bible background commentary. Uh, they first get it right, and then they kind of veer off. Uh, bronze mirror. Mirrors in antiquity were made out of bronze and were very hard and difficult to break. 
the imagery was appropriate to the sky on those dry, hot summer days when the heat of the sun reflected on the rock in dirt through the still golden haze. Additionally, in the ancient world, it was believed that the sky was a solid dome or disk. <laughs> it's like, that's going a little too far. Well, some might have, not, oh, could, could, not the Israelis from the teaching of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so it's, it's real structure, and there's a difference. We, we were talking about this when we were talking about, we looked in depth uh, with uh, Tohu and Bohu, uh, the nothingness and empty. There's nothingness and empty. Uh, and Tohu is often used in wilderness settings uh, where there's trackless regions, there are no tracks, there are no paths, uh, that almost no one passes through, there's no vegetation. And so there it's tohu, uh, the, the wilderness. Uh, it's, it's a nothingness. And in Job, God hangs uh, the, uh, the heavens on tohu, nothingness. Uh, there, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing that it's just, just the, the space uh, above. It's a good trick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so there, but then in Genesis, as you go back to the unfinished earth, everything's covered in water. There's a difference between the wildernesses that aren't covered in water. Uh, and so the term, when it's being used, tohu, in the beginning of Genesis, there's a difference. It has some of the same ideas of sort of a nothingness, uh, a region that's unproductive, barren, uh, that can't sustain life. Uh, and so it's kind of like these wilderness areas, but this one is covered in water and darkness and without light. And so uh, there are differences. And so uh, sometimes they'll take like the verb where they pound out maybe a sheet of metal, but you can't read all that then into the sky just as we can't read you know, we have legs. We can't read that into tables. Caves have mouths. Wow, modern people, you know, no wonder they're so scared of caves. They think they'll eat them, you know, and bottles and such. They have mouths and necks and uh, mountains have feet. And you can talk about the head of a mountain. And uh, that's just how, how language uh, develops over, over time. <clears throat> and so let's... Uh, Go ahead and uh, we'll just look briefly. Let's see, we're running a bit short on time. Let's go to a psalm. Go to the Psalms. And we'll look at lost it. Oh, I'm typing in Hebrew. Won't do me any good. <laughs> That's a little beyond above my pay grade. <laughs> well, I was, ty I was typing nonsense in Hebrew there. Uh, oh, I had it right in my notes. Where did it go? I didn't want to go to Psalm 148. Uh, but we can. Go there. Uh, how did it vanish? Did I make a typo? I think I might remember what, what psalm it is. Uh, but go, go to Psalm 148. Or what is the thought? Let's see. 
Uh, and so Psalm 148, uh, praise Yahweh, uh, praise Yahweh from the heavens, uh, praise him uh, in the heights. Praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts, calling for all of creation to praise mm. God. Uh, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, praise him, you highest heavens, uh, and you waters above uh, the heavens. And so here we have the ideas again of the heavens. You have like the birds that fly in the heavens, the sky above. Uh, you highest heavens, or heavens of heavens, uh, where you see like the, uh, the luminaries and such, uh, and in parallel with uh, waters above the heavens, where it talks about the windows of heaven uh, opening up and letting the earth uh, pour down. Uh, and right. so it's the same sky uh, that we see uh, above us uh, today. I mean, if you want to know what uh, rakia means, just look outside, but when it's bright out, you know, it's nighttime right now. So, yeah, Jim. <clears throat> Um, so it seemed to me that on the fourth day, I think it was, there were three spaces, three areas, three mm -hmm. realms. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was the earth. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not counting that, actually. There's the water on the earth that's populated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess the earth is populated, too. There's the air between the earth in the expanse that's populated. Mm -hmm. And then there's the waters above the expanse. We never hear about him populating them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe as far as the, the, the luminaries put in the heavens okay. uh, above. Psalm 104. I, I was just misreading it. Psalm 148. It was right there uh, in front of me. And so Psalm 104, and we'll start from verse 1. A bless Yahweh, O my soul. Uh, Yahweh, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Stretching out the heavens like a tent, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming a fire. And so you have all this creation imagery, even some of this ideas touching on like the tabernacle, which we'll look at more. God, God dwelling, but... Verse 2, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays his beam, uh, the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. And here are the chambers. Uh, it's the language of uh, upper room. Uh, and so in Israel, uh, oftentimes uh, they would have a, upper room on the top of the house. I think it could be covered, but they, they'd also go up on their uh, uh, roofs uh, above. But that's where you get a cool breeze and such. And so here it's the language of an upper chamber or an upper room. Uh, he lays the beams of his uh, chambers uh, on uh, the waters. And a lot of that imagery is used 
of the, of the heavens or God's throne, uh, the earth is his footstool. And so a uh, picture of God uh, dwelling uh, in the heavens above. And so uh, uses this metaphor of an upper room. God uh, lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. Uh, he rides on the wings of the, uh, the wind. And then go down uh, to, well, verse uh, 10. Actually, 9, you even see uh, you set a boundary uh, that they uh, may not pass so that they may, might not again cover uh, the, the earth. Talking about like water and flood of Noah. Uh, you make springs gush forth uh, in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Mm. Uh, beside them, uh, the birds of the heavens dwell. Uh, they sing among the branches. Uh, from your lofty abode, you water the mountains. Uh, the earth is satisfied uh, with the fruit of uh, your work. And so you have a connection again. God's lofty abode. Uh, from your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied uh, with the fruit of your work. And so that's where the, uh, the waters uh, come from. And so there are some where uh, I believe and I've defended that God created uh, the heavens, the earth, uh, the seas, and all that are in them in six days. And so I believe that the earth is relatively young. Uh, about thousands and thousands of years is a long time. But, you know, when you start, uh, when you start talking about billions of years of like earth history and stuff like that, um, Relatively speaking, uh, it's a short time, oh, but <laughs> but there are some younger uh, creationists who they have to be careful to rightly handle the word because they'll say that the waters are at the very ends of space, uh, the waters above the heavens. But here it's a picture of what we can see on the earth that it's mm -hmm. describing uh, from our perspective, seeing the creation uh, above, and so. It's not from the perspective of, I mean, even Hubble can't see all the way to the ends of, of all things. But here you see this language of the waters above, that that's where God gives the rain uh, from uh, and such like that. And so I had heard uh, I even, he actually handles the Bible uh, well. And he was on uh, David Wheaton's program some, some years ago, I think it was Paul Taylor. Uh, and He's arguing for this, uh, the water's at the very, very end of space. And it's like, oh, you have to be careful with not to go beyond the text. They're useless out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want water that helps. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then, so to summarize, uh, we, we see that the, uh, the rakia, uh, the expanse or the vault of the heavens, uh, that uh, it's this, Spatial structure, that's the sky that the birds fly through. Uh, at its pinnacle, you, you see where, well, the visible, maybe the second heavens, the luminaries are placed in it, uh, the waters above it, the, the atmosphere, uh, where the waters come down, uh, that we see with our own eyes. But then uh, the third heavens transcends uh, our visible experience uh, into uh, the invisible, uh, the heavenly uh, Heavenly is where God dwells. And so you see Paul was taken up to the third heavens that transcends all of, all of these things.
And then just to touch on the significance of the heavens, I'll quote from Kenneth Matthews, his commentary. He says, the theological significance of God's creation of the skies is the clarification that God alone rules the powers of the heavens. Divine rule of the skies was particularly important for Sumerian religion, not to mention Egyptian, uh, which gave prominent place to the heavens in its pantheon of gods. It was Anu, uh, the sky god, and Enlil, god of the atmosphere, who established and deposed the kings of the Sumerian city-states. Baal, in the Ugaritic pantheon, is identified as the rider of the clouds. He was the god of storm and rain, but Israel's faith declares that Yahweh is the source of the heavens' powers. Uh, The passage therefore asserts that the heavens and their celestial inhabitants are merely instruments to serve God and his earthly creatures. They are not autonomous authorities. And you see that even the, uh, we'll see that the words uh, Shemesh and Yavreah for the, uh, the sun and the moon are avoided Part of it may be connections with tabernacle, but part of it also, uh, it's close, uh, like Shemesh, to some of the pagan gods. Here, they're just luminaries to give light upon the earth. Uh, they're de-sunning the sun. They're not deities. <laughs> they're, they're created objects. Uh, they're not the center. They're not to be worshipped, uh, but uh, they're the created objects that God has made. He alone is the creator. He alone is to be, uh, be worshipped. Uh, And then, so now as we come to the end of uh, day two, uh, we saw that with day one, where there was darkness, God brought forth light. And so then you go from darkness to light, night to day, evening to morning, first day. Now we can have the cycle of the days for the next six days. And then on day two, where there were only the waters of the deep covering uh, the earth, uh, this nothingness, empty Earth uh, that's kind of like a, just a, a, a wasteland or a wilderness uh, that you'd wander through and there's no life. Uh, now God separates the waters. Uh, you saw the separation of uh, light and darkness. Now he separates uh, the waters below from the waters above. So you have the heavens above. And then on day three, uh, we'll see that he's going to uh, separate, bring forth the dry land uh, and gather the waters into seas and call forth the vegetation for his uh, creatures so that you'll have these uh, habitable uh, environments for his creatures to dwell in. And then, lastly, I'll I'll read this uh, quote from uh, John Kelvin. Uh, Sometimes sometimes, uh, some of the older commentators have a little way with words and some fire in their belly. Uh, We see that the clouds suspended in the air, uh, which... Uh, threaten to fall upon our heads, yet leave us space to breathe. Uh, They who deny that this is affected by the wonderful providence of God are vainly inflated with the folly of their own minds. Uh, Probably those who treated it just naturalistically in denying that God's providence had anything to do with creation and the order of things. Uh, We know know indeed that the rain is naturally produced, but uh, the 
deluge, or the flood, sufficiently shows how speedily we might be overwhelmed by the bursting of the clouds, unless the cataracts of heaven were closed by the hand of God. Nor does David rashly recount this among his miracles, uh, that God layeth uh, the beams of his chambers uh, in the waters. Psalm 104, we just looked at. And he elsewhere calls upon the celestial waters to praise God. Psalm 148, which we also looked at. Since, therefore, God has created the clouds and assigned them a region above us, it ought not to be forgotten that they are restrained by the power of God, lest, gushing forth with sudden violence, they should swallow us up, and especially since no other barrier is opposed to them than the liquid and yielding air, which would easily give way unless this word prevailed, let there be an expanse between the waters. And so it's God who created the heavens. He's sovereign over them. He rules over them. Uh, we're not to worship them. Uh, we're not to uh, look to the powers of, of the heavens, you know, for our salvation or security or, or those things. People look to astrology. Uh, that That's uh, foolish and unwise. Uh, but uh, God's blessing uh, is only found uh, in his son uh, and in, in the New Testament, uh, you even see this going through the Old Testament too. You see Noah brought through the floods. Uh, you see the Israelites uh, on the Exodus brought through the seas and the Egyptians are destroyed. Uh, the people in Noah's day are destroyed. Uh, and you see uh, some of these same things. Peter says, baptism uh, in this way, in Noah, baptism now saves. That's important what he says after that. Not as the washing of dirt from the body, it's not the physical act, but as an appeal to God for a clean conscience through the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of his son. And so all it is is an act of faith appealing to God, saying, oh God, please cleanse me uh, of all of my sins. And it's just a symbol of the salvation that we have by, by faith. It's just an act of faith, an appeal to God for a clean conscience through the resurrection of uh, Christ. Uh, dying with him, uh, but then being uh, raised with uh, him in new uh, life. And so Eric preached on baptism recently. So let's just close with prayer and uh, we'll pick up, uh, Lord willing, next week. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you that you have revealed these things, that you haven't left us uh, in darkness, but you've given us the light of your word uh, that we uh, could know and be taught and instructed uh, by your spirit that you are the one true living creator God, uh, that you made all things in six days and uh, that you're sovereign over uh, the earth below, the heavens above, a light and darkness. Uh, you're in control over all these things and you made them good for, uh, for your creatures and for humanity to have dominion over. And so uh, we thank you for these things and we look forward uh, to the return of your son. Uh, and his kingdom, and the new heavens, the new earth where righteousness dwells. And I pray that you'd bring us back uh, safely uh, together uh, to continue in your word. And we ask these things in the name of your son. Amen. Amen.